Welcome to episode 22 of Cropped. After a few months off, Will Dennis and I catch up just in time for San Diego Comic Con 2023. We have a grab bag of topics to discuss for this episode, so strap in. Enjoy! So, Will, it's been... It's been a, I think we've skipped a month, actually. I know. I should really sort of do a little bit more looking at my calendar and research before I get on these calls. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a punk rock podcast, man. We just find the time to do it, and we just fly by the seat of our pants. Yeah, I know. So, and we are really going to fly by the seat of our pants. This one's going to be, as you'll probably see, grab bag. Um, All right. We haven't done a lot of the. We haven't done a lot of these. Usually, we actually have some focus most of the time. So, <laughs> but uh, all right. I like a good grab bag. <laughs> seeing it is July, and now that the world has sort of returned to its normal, new normal, and San Diego Comic Con is coming up, and it sounds like it's going to be, oh, all the pearl clutching about the studios not being there. It sounds like it's actually going to focus on comics, which is not a bad thing. It sounds like maybe the writer strike and actor strike it will be a nice little enema for San Diego Comic Con. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you can tell where I'm coming from. I mean, I just, I mean, right, right. my first San Diego Comic Con was, uh, I think, 1999. So it was like 65,000 mm-hmm. people, and it was all comics focused, and the the buzz was about Spider Man and sort of uh, how 3D animation was coming in and how computers were going to be, you know, changing the world of animation and and stuff like that. And then Mm -hmm. Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man came in and I watched the con morph to, you know, it went from, please pay attention to us, Hollywood, everybody pay attention to us. Oh, Hollywood's paying attention to us. Great. Now it's 150,000 people over the course of four days. Oh, wait, Hollywood's taking up all the air in the room and, and maybe we really don't need Hollywood and Hollywood sucks. And now where's Hollywood? You know, why don't we have Hollywood here? <laughs> you know, and um, it's gone through this morphing and I don't know, I won't be able to make it, but I guess we'll have to do a follow-up uh, after uh, the mm-hmm. next time we talk will be our, that's our next episode of how, what you thought of the show. <laughs> you, this is your, you're back, right? You've been back. You've gone to uh, the last two, right? Have there been two? Or I went. In tw- I went last year for sure, twenty twenty two. But I think twenty one wasn't. Didn't they? I think they canceled twenty one. Yeah, twenty one is. They had that weird little Thanksgiving like, one, Christmas Thanksgiving time one, yeah. or something, which I was refusing to go to. But yeah, I was there last year. I was actually wondering because last year they had a, a, a pretty good system about. Yes. You had to go get these badges, you know, wristbands beforehand, like to show all your COVID you know, stuff and everything. And somebody was asking me earlier this week, do they think that they'll even have like a mask requirement? And I said, I don't know. I doubt it. I don't, although California is a little stricter than the rest of us have been, but um, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I think 20 and 21, they, they skipped it, right? Yeah, so. you're right. Yeah. And then, you know, because last year they were really strict and then we expected the same thing for New York Comic-Con and right. that was pretty lax, that really. Totally lax. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of COVID, uh, how are mm-hmm. you feeling? Because it looks like you're you just got perfect timing to get a little boost in your immune system <laughs> for, for the concrete. I, I, I gave myself the, uh, the COVID shot actually, like the oh. seven the seven percent solution that Sherlock Holmes is so fond of. The, the um, yeah, I don't know, out of nowhere, man. I don't know when. I think. I was going, I went to go see the cure at MSG like two weeks ago and I had tickets for like later in the week, like two different shows. And Mm. like, I don't know, the first night I was just like feeling kind of low and then I took a test and it was positive. It was negative. And then two days later it was positive. And then I got a PCR and they were like, yeah, you definitely got it. But I don't know, you know, it was, it was a couple, it was two or three days of bad cold symptoms. And then I still feel though, like, I don't know, I've taken a couple of rapids that have showed I'm negative you know but i don't know how reliable those are but um and i i would still say i I still feel it maybe i'm just old but like here maybe it's on we i don't know but like in the middle of the day i just sort of have this like really feel tired and kind of because i've just been stupidly kind of working through it right i mean i Mm -hmm. think i maybe took off part of the day but we had to get this devil's cut book out you know and there was just there wasn't a whole lot of um 
wiggle room, you know, and, and I've been working on that for weeks to get that anthology together, basically at the expense of like everything else, you know? So then it was kind of like, you know, I was, I was literally just kind of patching holes in the dam for weeks on other projects. Cause that was like taking up almost all the time to get mm-hmm. this big anthology together. So yeah, I don't know. I've been sort of just pushing through, which is probably stupid, you know, but, um, but yeah, we'll see, you know, I don't know, maybe it'll, it'll at least, it'll hopefully cut down my chances of, you know, I don't know what boomerang or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I guess we have to thank, uh, what is it? Fabio moon who uh-huh. actually is a fan of the show. So hello, Fabio. But I guess from your exchange with him that you got it from his newsletter or something is possibly the source. <laughs> yeah. so. That's right. He sent his newsletter and I said, I think you gave me COVID. <laughs> you know? But yeah, Fabio sadly said he will not be at San Diego, which is a real, this is a real hit because for years him and his yeah. brother have been like stalwarts. And mm-hmm. I remember the first time meeting them and like the years we've spent, you know, we always would hang out behind the Pyatt hotel where everybody stayed and we'd stay out there late at night like afterwards and they were always like just like the the foundations of like that hangout you know even years when i was kind of like ah, i don't know i gotta go we gotta get all these drinks at the ralph's and we gotta have it all planned and it's a late night and always at some point those guys would be like are we going behind the hyatt like tonight and i was like all right all right i don't want to disappoint you came all the way from brazil let's do it you know so yeah no i know so but he's not going to be there, but, um, but yeah, so he gave me COVID like an anticipation, but he gave me the right time. So it all worked out. So now I'll be like, you know, back and ready to roll. Yeah. You'll be the one who's sort of conquering the hill of sick people, <laughs> the con right, crud, exactly. you know, oh survived the con crud. I've so. never really <laughs> suffered much from that over the years. I was trying to count up how many years I've been to the show and, I, I really, I would never get sick, but I really put it down to like all the alcohol that we consume. Honest, honestly, like when you're, you know, like your body's essentially like, you know, mm-hmm. it, pickled. It's, it's, like, it's like pickled, right? Exactly. Like there's no place for the germs to get into your cells because they've absorbed so much, like, you know, whiskey and the tequila for five days. But, yeah, they're like, yeah. hell no. <laughs> like, we're right, going to find another like, sucker. So. I'm going to do it to myself before yeah. you can do it to me, basically, was my philosophy. But, yeah, I don't know, because I was kind of trying to count it up. The first year was 2001, and I know I took a year off when my second son was born. And then I think there was a, there was at least one year when D.C. suddenly was like, oh, we're not going to – we need to cost cut, you know, this kind of mm-hmm. nonsense. So there was a year where we I think we had to draw straws to see who went. And then I don't think I went the year, the first year I left D.C., 2015. I can't remember, but I feel like I didn't go because I just didn't have it together to go that year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and then the two years they were off. So that would be, it would be 23 years in a row, like, without those years. So if you take out, you know, you take out through four or five total, it's, yeah, so I'm, I've got to be up to, like, 18, you know, ish, 17, 18, probably. You know? Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. But yeah, you, you were saying, I'm kind of curious this year after I saw that James Gunn wasn't going to have a big thing. And um, I'm like, it's going to be like, is it going to be like San Diego, like 2007 or something, you know, which mm-hmm. would be kind of fun, you know, I mean, it would be kind of, be kind of interesting, you know, to see what, what it is. And who's not to say, I mean, because I mean, that LA is that close. Who's not to say that people might not show up? Who's not to say mm-hmm. that there might be some panels, last-minute panels, or who knows what's going to happen? Um, yeah. I, I just yeah. like the idea that I don't find there a problem where Hollywood's not there. Um, you know, because, let's face it, the strikes, you know, the writer's strike is basically fighting for certain things, and it is, mm-hmm. um, especially the the whole AI battle, which has hit comics and, and, and stuff like that. So... It's I I think it's worth it. Um, I don't know how much longer the strike's going to go, and you know it is keeping people from working, not only just writers but other people. And if the actors join, that really is going to shut things down. But I mean, where do you where do you finally you know, especially when it comes to AI, when it comes to creating a, a you know all the hours you put into a writing room, you know where where you know how much of a life do you have after you know putting a lot of time and money, you know, because 
after the hours you put into it as a writer, you're like, is this even worth selling? Because with my right. time in animation, right. you know, all the hustling and all the, you know, it was like I got lucky. I had basically a one to 12 ratio. But I'm mm-hmm. like, that's a lot. That's a lot of work mm-hmm. to get one sale. And then when you start seeing the nickel and diming of the deal, it's like, geez, was this, should I bet, was I better off just flipping burgers, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the hours mm-hmm. that I just worked to get to this and then the deal? And of course, it's always a long shot. So, um, to get it. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of free work just to get into the conversation of getting paid to write in Hollywood. And Mm -hmm. there, there needs to be, there needs to be a change because there's a shit ton of money as we've seen, you know, these executives, they always get paid. And, but so, and, you know, maybe Comic-Con needs to focus, refocus on what, what the medium that got them there, you know, and, if your experience over the tw- last 20 years of going to Comic-Con, you've seen how much Hollywood's benefited from the medium that you're part of, you know, mm-hmm. and just the stuff that's even behind that never even happens, you know, whatever happened to the scalp pilot and, you know, that was shot, I guess that project ended, but mm-hmm. that, that employed a shit ton of people just to get there. And, mm-hmm. you know, their hundred bullets has gone, you know, been around bouncing around. I mean, it, it's the comics has fed the pipeline, um, for Hollywood for the last 20 years, you know, so I, I, I guess, so Hollywood should show up, but maybe, I don't know, I'm rambling. No, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it'd be curious to see. I mean, it's typical, like, I think you summed it up at the beginning. It was just like, oh, we're comics, comics, and then Hollywood showed up and everybody was, you know, pulling out their hair about, oh, what about old comics? But now as soon as, you know, human nature, of course, as soon as they don't show up, they're like, oh, what happened to Hollywood? Like everybody's, you know, now suddenly it's like we forgot how to just be ourselves, you know, after we change to adapt to their, you know, it's like being in a toxic relationship in some ways, you know, where yeah. you just sort of like, you realize like, wait, I, I'm, I'm all right on my own. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily need this kind of thing. So yeah, I'd be curious to see what goes on. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, but I, I think you're right. I mean, with the proximity to Hollywood and stuff like, and with the lack of these giant things, you think it would be smart for some some of these places to, um, you know, sneak in a last minute panel or some kind of more guerrilla sort of mm-hmm. marketing thing. You know, but, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the writers' strike. I'll be curious to see if there's if the writers will be there. You know, if there'll be any kind of striking, just because there will be a lot of media attention and stuff to bring it back. Because I feel like. I'm sure the the writers I know that are striking, it's definitely a struggle. Like they're definitely at that point of the thing yeah. where it's like that initial, you know, the adrenaline rush wave of yeah. you know excitement is kind of burned out, and now mm-hmm. it's like, wait, I have to go do this every day now for God knows how long, and then the the, the directors settle, and there's all these rumors about the actors might be settling too, in which case then the writers are really up shit's creek, you know, and it's kind of like. But, you know, you got to do it. I mean, it's like you just, you, like you're saying, I mean, you realize, like, how much foundationally, like, you know, they need you, but they don't seem to, these companies don't seem to either get that or care. I mean, you, I don't even, these. I didn't read any of the articles, these headlines about the guy who created the Squid Games, like, making oh, yeah. no, no money from Netflix on it and stuff. It's like, I'm not one who usually these kind of boycotts of companies, particularly like things, but it's like, I see that and I'm like, fuck you Netflix. Like, I just like, can I just cancel this shit? Like, what do I, I don't like half the time I'm like, ask my kids, like, you guys even use this anymore? Like, you know, cause it's like, I'm sick of giving these guys my money and this is the kind of crap that you, you know, I was uh, really busy with, I think one, the last campaign and I just canceled Netflix. I'm like, I'm not watching this. I don't have the time. And right. for like three months, they're like, please come back, please come back, please come back. And then about four months, like two mm-hmm. months after the campaign, I'm like, oh, I still haven't renewed my Netflix. And I kept, and their emails sort of stopped, I guess. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't had been on Netflix for a year now. Right. Exactly. I guess every so often I wish I could go back and watch something, but I'm like, but I'm busy watching Star Trek now. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And it's, you know, it's like all the same. It's like, yeah, this whole week, everybody on these social media, these new social media things keep popping up. And I'm like, why do I want to be on? I don't want to be on more. I want to be on less social media. I want to be on like, you know, yep. anti social media. Like, I just don't. Like, once you're off it, like when I got off Twitter, 
you know, and it takes a while before you sort of feel clear of it. But once you're clear of it, you're just like, oh, my God, the amount of time I spent on that, wasted on that, and the other things I can do with my time, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's very illuminating, you know. So maybe Comic-Con will be a change. Maybe, you know, the indus- the comic book industry will, I don't know, maybe... Maybe this is something, a spark of something. Who knows? It, it could be wishful thinking um, mm-hmm. of people realizing, you know, the industry needs to be able, if it's going to flourish, the industry, the medium needs to somehow figure out its own way, too, because this is a complaint with the writer's room, too, is how do you make money as a creator? You know, we had that hashtag of, mm-hmm. I forgot the hashtag, you know, that's... Comics um, broke me. That comics thing. broke me. Now, yeah, some yeah. of it, some of the complaints were like, oh, um, uh, you, uh, yeah, I don't really get the issue here. But, right. um, but, right. but it is a thing about making a living in comics. I mean, people are like, well, you come to comics because you're pursuing a passion not to be a millionaire. But mm-hmm. with conversations I've had off the air and uh, with other people... It seems like there are people who can make money in comics, but for sure, and there's revenues. But what is the focus? I mean, where? And I think this lines up with the writers' strike too. Is like, how do you? How does the industry create an industry? You know, a way of people being paid so you can continue injecting new energy, new creativity, and not have people basically working themselves to death. And I guess that, you know, some people actually get to a point where they can make a living off of comics, a decent living. But still, to get to that point is a lot. And there's a lot of luck. And I don't know. But what about mid-range? Is there a way that people, without working themselves to death, can, you know, find a niche that they can support themselves for a little while? And you've talked about get a book done that actually is a, you know, a long tail book, you know, that Mm -hmm. you're still getting a check every month, 10 years out, you know, well, those, there's so many factors to get to that point that are, you know, uncontrolled factors to get, publish a book like that. But, you know, where, how can the industry help? How can we support people, basically? And maybe without Hollywood, the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, maybe there's a focus here. You know, mm-hmm. maybe somebody will have a panel that you know, does this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you guys signed up for any panels? I know Distillery's doing um, a, unleashing, you know, showing up into the world and unleashing yeah, the, uh, your book. Yeah, there's a couple of panels for Distillery <clears throat> that I'm, like, helping on. And then I'm definitely doing a Barnstormers because Barnstormers is the Comicology original book that... Yep. That got nominated for an Eisner, so um, we're doing a panel on that um, Thursday, I think it is. So, um, yeah, that should be good. I mean, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it would be interesting to see. I, I mean, frankly, the, the Hollywood stuff being less of a of a issue or a thing, I mean, I don't mind from the standpoint of being a comic book editor because, you know, one of the big problems for me over the last 20 years has been no, it's been that influence of people chasing that dollar, but mm-hmm. via comics, you know what I mean? I mean, I've talked about it before, but the amount of crappy screenplays that people try to reverse engineer into a comic so that they can then put it back into a screenplay, like the amount of those I've seen <clears throat> over the years and just kind of how it just starts to become kind of insulting that that's what people are reaching out to you about, you know? And it's just, I mean, I... I don't know. Ultimately, for me, it's just like if the story's not good and the quality isn't there, then it's not going to find an audience, really, or at least any audience I want to participate with or engage with. So, yeah, I mean, if you can bring the focus back to get people's head out of the clouds a little bit and just back to, like, what they're good at even, you know, then it's like, I mean, I'm all for that sort of thing. And I don't know, you know, I mean, these companies probably stupidly think that they can do it without like quality writers and foundational stories and things like that. But, you know, I think they'll find out. I mean, history's proven that that's not true, that you can't, you know what I mean? The stuff that lasts is the stuff that lasts, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not it's not coming from AI, and it's not coming from crappy writers that you're finding to replace the good writers, you know? So it's like, yeah, I mean, figure out a way to just pay people honest living wage. I mean, I have no problem with them asking for the moon and the stars. It's the same reason I don't ever complain when athletes ask for a ton of money from sports teams owners. Like, 
there's yet to be a sports team owner that's gone out of his own pocket yeah. in a painful way to pay the star player, right? And I mean, it's just, you know, the guy who owns the New England Patriots is not going, you know, without vacation that year because he needs to pay Tom Brady like what Tom Brady is worth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it, I, I have no, I never have problems when these guys ask for, you know, the sun and the moon because it's like you have talents that no one else has. And, you know, and these guys aren't going poor to pay you, so screw them anyway, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. So we'll see. It should be interesting. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it won't be Maybe it won't be noticeable. Maybe it will. I, I don't. It, my experiences in San Diego are so separate from that that, for me, it probably won't be that different. You know what I mean? Like, I, So I remember the very first year we were out walking along the bay, the marina, and that's where, like, all the people camp out for Hall H, you know, and there's just yep. a line of 1,000 people. And, you know, some people come prepared, and they've got, like, sleeping bags and snacks and, you know, sun hats and everything because they're there 24 hours a day. And the, I remember the very first year walking along the length of that promenade and being like, what are all these people doing? Like, are these homeless people? Like, I don't understand what's happening. And somebody were with her, like, you idiots, this is, like, the line for Hall H. I'm like, are you telling me these people sit out here all day and night? in the sun all day and then all night long and like sleeping and not bathing and all like so they can sit and get into this hall to watch like a five minute Avengers trailer that like I'll be able to watch on my phone five minutes later. Like I don't understand. And they were like, no, it's like a whole scene. It's fun. It's like a concert. I'm like, yeah, except at a concert, like you see a band that's going to play for three three hours, hours. you know, like in, uh, but I, I, yeah, it was it's like the, everyone was mocking me for being so like just you know gobsmacked as the expression about like this is what it is like I had no idea so it's like I don't know it's funny how like your own little world is so so different from that you know like being there as a professional or you know what passes for professional as opposed to being there as a fan like it's just kind of it's such a different experience so i don't know hopefully i hopefully it'll be curious to see what goes on but yeah i'm looking forward to it i I mean i used to sort of complain about it a lot when i worked at dc but you know they used to make us really work the whole show which Uh was really annoying you know you'd have to have five or six or more hours a day of booth duty and you know they'd put you on at nine o'clock in the morning and it was like are you kidding me it did like hand out buttons and tell people where the bathroom was. It was totally ridiculous, you know. Oh, really? So, wow, I didn't oh, know they yeah. could put the editors yeah, like could, that. Yeah, so you'd have it like all, the, you know, you'd have like all your panels, portfolio reviews, Yeah. but then you have booth duty, which is sometimes like, it was about six hours a day, so we'd like, you'd do a shift like nine to noon, and then you'd get a break, and then you'd do a panel, then you might have to go back and do like two hours at night. It was terrible. It was horrible, you know, so although I pride myself that I was never late and I never missed a shift, like, all those years. But I can tell you that there were multiple years when I would just come right from wherever I was, like, to the booth, you know? So, like, Did you ever like, throw up? Like, like, uh, yeah, I definitely threw up. There was one year. There was one year I was doing a, we were doing a signing, and Brian was doing the signing, and I multiple times had to excuse myself. And there was a, it was a giant like garbage can like right behind the booth that I just like went back and like barked and like thing, and he would just mock me because that guy could like stay out till like five o'clock in the morning and like would look and sound exactly the same like three hours later. But he's like, "Oh, you all right? You feeling all right there, Junior? Like you gonna make it? You know?" And I was just like, "I'll make it." But because <clears throat> people used to really give us a hard time for like you know having so much fun usually and. So I was always like annoyed when they, I think they would put me on like booth duty, like literally let's see, like if I would show up kind of thing. And so I was always like, nothing, nothing motivates me more than spite, you know? So my whole life built around like spite and like how I can use it to motivate myself. So I was always just like, you're not going to get over on me. Like you can give me a shift at six o'clock in the morning. If you do me a favor, because I can just be able to from wherever. Sober I up. Roll right from wherever I was, like right there, you know, right exactly. But yeah, there was definitely some grim. See if we can make grim. Will throw up this time. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they come by all these jokers, you know, the Bob Wayne's of the world. Like, oh, how are you feeling there, Mister Dennis? 
you look a little green around the gills. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm here, mother. After looking, <laughs> you know, you went to bed last night at 730. Yeah, I, I, know. Still, you know? I know you really can't talk about much probably with distillery, but the book is in the printers and mm-hmm. I'm looking at a little article, I guess, Bleeding Cool has sort of where you guys are on the map and you... You know, I know you, you got a different, decent location. Look, you're right next to the image and the dark. Your, your book ended by image and dark horse. You got Marvel's um, little booth right there. Aspen's right next to you. Oh, Marvel's got two booths. Booms down the road. I don't. IDW, thank you that IDW is actually going to be at the show because I know I, I need to try to reach out to some people. But IDW, what they're doing, especially with like their new projects, I really like. Earth Divers mm-hmm. is pretty cool, and uh, people might yeah, hate it, but cool. uh, I think what Heather Antos is doing with Star Trek, I really am enjoying. I haven't read a Star Trek comic in freaking decades, but I'm having fun with it. But mm-hmm. yeah, you guys are in the thick of it, so congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I'm not mistaken, <laughs> that's like the old DC spot right there. You know, uh, it was right damn close, the... yeah, yeah. Right in there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's like muscle memory will probably just carry me back to the because the graffiti booth used to be right there. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. or that yep. might be where graffiti was. And then that big square next to it was like where DC was. You yeah. Know, like graffiti was always right behind DC. And then Alex's booth was right there too. So, um, yeah, man, I know. It's great. I mean, Chip was all over that. So, yeah, I mean, we've got the book coming out. You know, we've got this stuff. Um, I mean, it comes out in shops in August, but we're going to have a special edition um, at the show, like limited quantities, but like enough people there for different signings, you know, because the mm-hmm. number of the creators are going to be there. Um, so, yeah, and they're, I mean, they're going to be selling it like right at the booth. So, um, yeah, and there's definitely going to be some kind of exclusive stuff they you know, haven't been announced, little things they're going to try to do, you know. So, I mean, they really want to have fun trying to engage fans and, you know, announce little things like while we're there and, you know, special stuff, like anything we can do to kind of just get people excited and have fun. But, yeah, the I mean, the book the book's great. I mean, I'm really proud of the book. The covers look amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the variant covers, there's, there's a lot of them, but, um, yeah, it's cool. really impressive to me, you know. Like, people really took this kind of, idea that pitched them for like the overall format of it and just really it's just cool to see what you know so many different creators can do within like a framework that was pretty you know a set framework for like from a design standpoint you know so um yeah i don't know we haven't you know the numbers should be coming in you know the foc for the thing was this week so should have an idea of how that's going and you know i mean anthologies are a hard sell so you know, my expectations are probably lower than they ought to be because I've, you know, worked on so many anthologies over the years and they can be kind of a hard sell just because there isn't, you know, like an anchor for people to hold on to. But, um, yeah, I mean, considering where it was this time last year, I mean, like one of the first meetings I had at last year, San Diego was with Chip and David, where they walked me through essentially like the deck that they were going to show to the creators, the you know, mm-hmm. get them excited to sign up or whatever. So, you know, essentially exactly one year later to not only have that, all that stuff set up, have all these people signed up to be working, you know, even if you were just going to go to San Diego and announce like the projects you were doing would be fairly impressive in like one year's time, but to actually have a physical product that you can sell and sign and share with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, is you know, I don't know. It's kind of impressive to me that we're able to like get it all pulled together in such a short amount of time. You know, it did come together quickly, and and also now that I think about it, it's like you know this sharing of percentages with the creators. Um, maybe that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how do you make a living in comics? You know, even if you're mm-hmm. not, you know, an A lister who, you know, who's you know, established a list or how do you sort of right. able to make this your one job instead of, a, you know, the typical America of having two to three, um, you know, right. so I, I'm well, just, they're trying. I mean, yeah, they're trying. I mean, it's all, we'll have to have chip on how the much show. Pushback <laughs> we get, you know, like the, it is funny to see that, you know, the kind of negativity that swirls around these kinds of announcements and these sorts of things. Like when you're trying to do different things or, 
you know, I don't know, you see people even when you're announcing things like this big international deal that we signed for it, you know, and people mm-hmm. are like, how can you sign a deal before you've even turned out your first book? And you're like, I would think it's a good I, a good thing that this giant corporation, you know, like a Delcord, they could go anywhere they want with all the money they have. And it's like, and they've decided like sight unseen to sign a big deal with you guys, like sort of speaks to their level of trust and excitement about it you know but it's funny how people want to spin it like you know things or some of the retailers that seem but there's a lot of retailers that seem really excited about it you know so hopefully people will be when they see the actual product you know will be get behind it but it is it is interesting to see the amount of like people say they want new stuff or they want to change or how are we going to fix comics or how are we going to do things? And it's not that that's what we're necessarily trying to do per se, but it's just like, as soon as you do start to introduce different, you know, different price points, different formats, different sizes, different rollouts, like, yeah, the amount of resistance is, it, it is kind of interesting too. the amount of kind of stuff that, you know, when chips at comics pro or other things, and the, you know, the things that people sort of, chirp about but mm-hmm. you know but but there's a lot of positive stuff and you always have to feel like for the one or two or five loud voices negatively there's a lot of silent majority of people that seem you know that are either rooting for you or at least taking a wait and see attitude about it and stuff so but yeah it'll be interesting to see what goes on i mean there's definitely a lot of cool stuff happening and then you know the comicsology stuff i mean we got this eisner award for scott and Yep. Lisa Tulalote, which is great for Barnstormers. And, and that book just came out this week in print. The first issue just came out. So, well, it's actually the first two collected in one volume. And then, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's exciting. I mean, I, I couldn't be happier for the two of them. And, you know, I think, I mean, I honestly think we have a pretty good chance with it. Um, you know, I mean, I think for, for, from the standpoint of the book itself, it's an unusual you know, story and the art so cool and got really poured a lot into it. So we'll see how that, how that, um, shakes out. I mean, it's, you have to go to the Eisner's, which is always a little bit of a <laughs> double-edged sword. So one thing I did want to talk about seeing, I'm looking at it just to sort of, when you did the, the, the cover for devil's cut, um, mm-hmm. how, how did that come about? How did that design for the cover, um, did you who did you did you work with or I know the distillery logo is something they launched with but the Devil's Cut uh-huh. logo is you know book specific and then looking at this sort of structure you put together that the creators were able to bounce off of mm-hmm. uh, and take advantage of um, I'm looking at you know all of them how they use the D to be a focus and then the back Mm -hmm. it looks like that's the back of the cover that that space the lack of you know the the negative space that's there Mm -hmm. how did you guys just to like Um, spend a couple minutes of like how did this come about because then everybody plays with it like frank uh franco franco villa villa franco villa yeah it's in the franco villa his his is interesting how and and then everybody else is very interesting how they use the back cover or even the juxtaposition going on in some mm-hmm. of them too um yeah it, yeah i mean yeah a lot of times I, I mean i feel like i contribute stuff to a lot of these things and i you know i try to not sound like a total dick about taking credit but i take credit for this one like okay <laughs> we were trying to come up you know they wanted a cover and they had gotten the logos and all that kind of branding stuff done by this um like a really well-known design company um and so they had all those assets you know for the launch and the website and all the rest but mm-hmm. we wanted to come up with something for this cover so one of the things that they had had was just the d with like the telescoping you know like drop shadow on it mm-hmm. um which they had a lot of really cool designs for the for all the branding stuff originally but this is you know they landed on this this distillery logo and elements that essentially have this very you know clean font with this drop shadow which i like because it looked kind of modern but then it's also evocative of like the original like superman logo and you know there's just like a little a little comic booky about it, which I thought was nice, you know, which is I think why they ended up going with that originally. But so then, yeah, in some of the talks we were talking at the beginning, it's like it's tough because it's an anthology, so you can't really feature, even if you give it to all these amazing creators, 
you can't really feature characters. Yeah. Like, there are no characters. There's no X-Men. There's no linking covers that are like, you know, oh, well, I'll put Wolverine on mine and you put Cyclops on yours. And, you know, like, no, no one knows any of these characters, you know. And we we didn't philosophically, the approach for the entire anthology was, it's okay if some of this stuff has a second life, you know, in the actual, you know, projects that you're going to do for the company. But we don't want it to be just preview pages, right? Like it has to not, that was the brief to everybody, which you can't just do pages one to five of issue one of the book you're going to do for us next year or the year after, whatever, you know, like that just seemed unfair to people. Like it had to be an entity. It had to be an artifact that would live on its own, you know, for as long as it could live kind of thing. So if some of the, if it's, like it sort of operates like a zero thing, that's okay. Or if it operates like a character that maybe isn't going to be featured in a, a series. But, so some of them are, you know, tangential to like what might be a project eventually. Some are fairly closely knit to a project, but, you know, and then some are just completely one-off, you know, like you're not going to see again, just like let's get two awesome creators together and let them have fun jamming on like a five-page story sort of thing. Um, but anyway, so it leaves you a little bit of a quandary for the cover. So uh, one of the little elements they had was the D was the telescoping. And so I was on a ta- I was on a chat thread with David and Chip, and I literally was like, send me that little element. It was just a D with like this electric green background. And like stupidly, like even on, I think it was on my phone, like I just traced out like the lines of like the telescoping lines, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, the whole point is to feature the company. It's like the only kind of, the company is the only coherent element to this whole thing. So why don't you just come up with a a business that's, this is the fixed point that everyone has to iterate around. And, And anybody can just do whatever they want as long as they don't mess with this element, right? As long as that element, I mean, they can play with it. They can put stuff in it. They can have stuff coming out of it. Uh They can, you know, hang stuff off it, lean stuff on it, change the color, whatever you want to do to it, like play with the planes, all that kind of stuff. But um, that's the fixed point so that, you know, ideally at a certain, you know, if there was a shop that was willing to get all the covers or as many as they could have, like I want the rack. I want somebody to post the picture of the rack of 15 of them or however many there are on a wall, because I'm saying from an element of walking into a shop and looking at that from across the room, like I'm going to walk over to that and say, what the hell is this? Right. Like, you know, because it's just very striking. And then it's just a question of, so, so that was the thing. Then I was on a thread. Jock was on the thread, I think. And then he, I was like, yeah, you could have stuff coming out of it, whatever. And so then he took this really crappy little JPEG thing, and then he drew all these funny, like, little squiggles and stuff, like, coming out of it or hanging on top of it. And he's like, oh, you're talking about this kind of thing? And I was like, yeah, exactly that. Mm-hmm. And I said, as long as you keep the D consistent, then that's the, that's the hook that, like, you can hang your hat on for everything else. So then we gave it to Emma Price, who's, like, the kind of designer for the whole company, um, you know, separate from the design company that developed these assets, like she's the one kind of building all the, the stuff. But then she just built this template that was like the telescoping D that carries over to the back cover. Like we wrote out the copy. She built the logo for Devil's Cut. You know, we knew what the elements were that had to be on there, like the UPC and that kind of stuff. And then we just sent these blanks to everybody and said, you know, here's the brief. Like it can be related to your project. It cannot be related to your project. You can change the colors. You can play with stuff. You can do whatever you want. The only thing we don't want you to do is make the D so unrecognizable. You know what I mean? Like, even if you want to play with it, like some people poke holes in it. Some people, you know, put, I don't know. There's one, there's, I think there's one with somebody leaning on it, kind of yeah. leaning on it, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, Ariella did want, Kristen Tina did, I mean, hers is like a barn burner because she, she basically did what, some people didn't do as much with the actual planes as I maybe thought they would do, but she did a thing where it's like a very sexy cover. Um, essentially it looks like some, I don't know, call it an orgy or some sort of like, it got like a little bit of like a devilish BDSM kind of, you know, light theme, but Mm -hmm. she used the black, she used the black spaces of the cover as essentially like the black bars that would appear, you know what I mean? So, 
like you can like your mind is filling in like the kind of dirty bits but she you know put it all in these different planes within the cover so there's like a there's a plane where the D is blocking stuff, but then there's a plane where like the characters in front of the D and then there's another one where they're over the telescoping, but then the telescoping is also covering like one of the other naked figures kind of, you know? So like, Uh you know, so yeah, so that was just the thing. And it was just like, as long as people can recognize the D, like we didn't want people doing stuff like, you know, make it look like, you know, Basquiat did it or make it look like it's a Keith Haring D or something. You know what I mean? Like, you could have done that where everybody just sort of took that and really changed it up. But we wanted that to be like a fixed point so that people would just sort of, you know, see that element. And then the other things are kind of, because basically with a cover from my mind is always like, there's a million covers every week. And it's like, I just need to stop you on my cover for yep. five seconds. I just need that beat where you're like, huh, like, what is that? You know, I need you to, take the step to the rack and look at that and pick it up and then get it in your hands because now that's 90% of the buy experience, you know, so or more or whatever. So it's like, I, you know, if I can stop you from the 5,000 other, you know, you go to a Midtown Comics and look at the racks of comics, you know, and it's like, it's a lot of signal and noise, you know, and so it's just like, what can we do to get you to pause for long enough to maybe put your hand on it and want to put down your money for it you know like those mm-hmm. are all stages so i think in that respect i think it's like a huge success because i mean i just i just literally like right before the call signed off on like on the at the printer like all the covers you know you have to go through their website and look at all the covers and how they're going to print everything and i mean i have to say i mean i've been doing a lot of comics for 20 some years and i've worked with some of the most amazing cover artists and done i think covers that really influential covers like the Hunter Bullets covers and the Losers covers and covers that really, you know, have set a standard and influenced a lot of subsequent creators. But, I mean, these covers are just, they're just really, really cool. Like, they just really, like, you know, and, and, and I think it, it, I think it, I hope it shows what we're trying to do is, like, there should be some fun to this. Like, there should be some playfulness to this. Like, this job is cool. Like, we're lucky to have these kind of jobs, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, that could have any kind of job. And you could be working nine to five and, you know, working just to put food on the table. And it's like, we're blessed that we don't have to do that or we've managed to at least make livable careers. So part of it at this point is like, it should be kind of fun. So it's like, give cool creators, give them a little framework to work in because, you know, the blank slate is often very intimidating, you know? So... And just say, like, what do you want to do? Like, send it in. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of monkey business. There wasn't a lot of, you know, approvals. There wasn't, you know, most of them just came in. Like, this is what it is, you know? I mean, or, like, someone like Becky sent in 15 permutations of hers, like, different colors. And it was like, oh, my God, which one do we want to pick? Like, they're all cool, you know? And <laughs> Too many uh, choices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Too many, you know? And then some, and, yeah, and the other funny little bits, like Lisa's Tulalote, like, you know, her stuff is very sexy generally and very, you know, like, ero- you know, borderline erotic a lot of her covers. When she sent her cover in, it was a little kind of oddly, like, a little tame, you know, and we were, and we were kind of thought, and we were all like, oh, we thought we were going to get a little more, you know, the racier element, particularly with the story that's on the inside. And she's like, oh, I can do racy. And we're like, yes, yes, you can, you know. And so then she sent back a different version that was like, you know, a little more the kind of R-rated version. But it's funny how those things kind of shake out, you know. She was, oh, I just wasn't sure if it was too much. And basically Chip and David are like, you know, I mean, as long as they're like, no, this is the whole point. Like, you you know, these are your toys. Like, we're here to, you know, let you kind of have fun with your hair down and, like, just do something cool because you've, you have, you know, like you said, I mean, even going back to that comic broke me thing, I mean, the saddest part of reading a lot of those stories to me was, I, I don't, and it's not to make myself sound like some kind of a genius, but it's just like, I, I, I guess I don't realize how many shitty editors there are, you know? And, and yeah. And to talk about it on this podcast makes a lot of sense because it's like I take a lot of this for granted and I know I've made mistakes and I know I've probably hurt people's feelings and I've done things that I wish I could have over again. But I felt like I've always tried to just be reasonable with people and treat them like professionals and be kind and try to look out for people and understand that people's lives get in the way and things happen. But when you start to hear these stories of just the blatant lies and like the lies about projects and the 
payments and the deadlines and just the bullshit that people, you know, like people are working on something and not knowing that someone else is doing the same book and whoever gets it in first is going to be the one that they're going to publish. Like, that's just... Wow, that's, I didn't see that shit, one. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, come on. Like, are you kidding me that this is the kind of stuff? Yeah, they used to call... I used to hear that term. They called it, like, beauty pageanting or something where... And I think some of the guys in the DCU would do it where they'd, like, get, like, a story, like an inventory story, mm-hmm. and they'd get and send it to two people, but they wouldn't know that they're each doing the same story. And then it was like to sort of see which one they like better or who got it in faster. And like you hear these stories years later and you're like, that's the way you guys were operating. Like it's no wonder there's so many traumatized people walking Wait, around. Wait, so there, you know? the creator who got it in second place wouldn't get paid? No, they would get paid. They would get paid for their rates, but they would never see it published, right? So they wouldn't get... It wasn't even necessarily second place. It was just, like, which one they liked better, like, once oh. it got done, you know? Because we used to... They used to... I never did a Vertigo because all our stories were, like, creator-owned kind of stuff. And yeah. I obviously wouldn't do it anyway, but, like, they used to inventory stories, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, yeah. they would do one-offs that they would just have, and you'd get someone to do it, and they'd put it in a drawer because you could just drop a green lantern one shot in like when the rest of the schedule fell apart you know yeah. kind of thing so yeah so and and they literally like the term was called like beauty pageanting where they would have two two contestants essentially working on the stories at the same mm-hmm. time and then when they got in like they would pick one and sometimes neither got published because not all those inventory stories like there could be drawers full of stories there were editors that would have you know, dozens of these things like raffled for, you know, a rainy day kind of thing. And then at some point they might just kill them. You know, I mean, yeah, people got paid, but that's not the same as, you know, if I, if I thought like this is going to be my first published work for DC and it's going to upset me on my career. And it's yeah. Like, I see. Basically just being jerked around by some clown editor that like, you know, doesn't have the balls to tell you that somebody else is doing the same job kind of thing. And it's just like, I don't know. I guess I was naive or I was too busy doing my own work and doing it a certain way that you you read some of those stories. And, yeah, I don't some of that stuff I find a little some of it's a little hard to take because I don't believe that the world owes you a living, you know, but I do Mm -hmm. believe that there's ways to treat people that some of these people have obviously been treated quite poorly, you know, and it's like it's just a little shocking to me at times that like that's what's gone on and so blatantly in some cases, you know. Yeah, I, I understand the need for, you know, stockpiling some stories just because when you're working for Marvel, you know, those the superheroes, the book has to get out and just to have that. But to, yeah, that's especially with somebody whose first work is, you know, oh, this is my first job for DC and now it's never going to see the light of day because one, it was an inventory story and two, somebody actually delivered it first. I mean, yeah, and, and they have guys working... Like, on the regular person, it was slow, and they would literally give pages to, like, another artist to be doing on a parallel track, but not telling the people that's what they were doing, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Like, that was definitely happening, too. And yeah, I mean, it, it just sort of, you know, I mean, it's the, one of the benefits of being around so long is just the kind of business of, like, well, we don't have to do it that way, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, David and Chip have done a great job of raising money and getting the funds to at least get this thing off the ground. And, you know, can we try to just do this a way that, you know, not that people haven't done some of this that way, obviously, over the years, but it's just like, at least try to do it, you know, as best as you can do it and not take advantage of the people who are actually doing the really hard, heavy lifting, you know? Yes, exactly. So I've had you on for uh, close to an hour. So oh, that's um... all right. Kind of <laughs> tangents, ripping and stuff. Right. But thank you very much. toot my own horn about <laughs> Coming up with a distillery cover. No, I'm thank glad you. I got that in. I'm glad I got that in the <laughs> podcast early before somebody else came along and tried to spin spin the story a different way. Well, we'll have to have Chip and have uh, on this on uh, sometime in August right, or whatever. We'll right. have to have Chip actually tell the real story about how the cover came about. <laughs> Jock, so, Jock, like he always does. Jock is like, um, I did all the work. <laughs> Dennis is just—he's just just using me. It was a team effort for sure. So the the one thing I want to do, seeing we're recording at July six, and I will get this out hopefully before Comic Con, is to I guess wish John Byrne a happy birthday. It is his birthday today. 
And as people who've listened to the few listeners we have out there, actually, some people actually listen to our John Byrne talks and they've enjoyed them a great deal. Um, some of the few episodes I get feedback on. Uh, uh, hey, we'll have to do another Byrne thing. Maybe we can talk about either OMAC or no, the, ne- the Next Men. I don't know. We'll have to sit down and figure out something. Yeah, something. Next Men. Yeah. Pull out my complete run of Next Men and I think refresh I, it. I don't know where mine is, actually. I don't know if it got lost when I moved, or but I thought I had it all. Or I might have sold it, but uh, I'm gonna—I ha- don't know how I'm gonna have to figure it out. But maybe we can talk about X Next Men. Oh, because... I got tricked recently by buying a Fantastic Four anthology or no annual that was not too far off the the era that he was doing it, and he did the cover. Mm-hmm. But then when I opened up the inside, it was just—it was not. Like he hadn't done anything on the inside, like, and I—but I, it was bagged and boarded. It was only like a dollar, but I still felt a little burned by it. But, you know. We'll have to figure out what to do on our next seeing on John Byrne's birthday. Next one might be the cool thing. Um, yeah, I picked up a whole run of those recently at the this place in New Milford called the Goblins Cavern, which I think is an apt name for like finding old issues of Yeah, you know, it was the whole thing, including that Burn twenty one twelve yep. thing that oh, wow. like yeah. that weird hard that weird perfect found collection thing that's sort of like the prequel or sequel to it. I don't know. It's like it's, I can't remember now. It's it's the world after the next men event because right. now everybody's sort of mutated, but right. it's also got a, I, it's been years since I read it, but it has that ecological thing like down in Brazil, they have this uh-huh. technology generating, it's taking place instead of the rainforest. You have all these factories generating, you know, recycling the air for the world and stuff like that. So mm. Yeah, I remember it's like at, this is the after effect of what the next men after they get loose, basically. Right, right, right. So, um, yeah. Wow. All right. Well, maybe it's time for a deep dive into the. Yep. <laughs> for me, to... you, and the three other people who <laughs> actually give a shit. <laughs> well, Will, I, uh, right. I will let you enjoy your time prior to Comic Con. Um, good luck, okay. I guess. I uh, hope you're. You're feeling better, well rested before the exactly. week worth of craziness and the launch, and we'll mm-hmm. have to reconnect at the end of July after you recovered. Like so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I know, you, I'm not as young as I used to be, Francis. Come on. Do you ever we'll recover from San Diego Comic Con, or do you no, just leave a bit of yourself my, behind? <laughs> my ennui just kicks back in the Tuesday afterwards, and I just go back to my cranky self so it's all it's fine and good luck with the eisners oh thank you yeah i appreciate it i hope they win i know like scott would really like to and you know it'd be nice to i think it's a great book so yeah it it looks like a gorgeous book and um i'm glad it's already printed so that's great yeah it's out just came out yesterday so it collects the first two issues and it's really good value for like the price and everything cool Mm -hmm. so all right man well thank you i appreciate it fun i'll talk to you at the end of the month 